0: why hello there regular listener new listener this is probably something different for you it's me speaking at the beginning of my podcast episode these are always strange to do because i'm literally speaking to the door (laughs) that's in my office and then i know that i'm communicating to you one to one and normally you expect to hear a snippet from the guest which is an awesome guest this week but i'm always thinking about new ways to experiment and for those of you who don't know, I have a second show called the Vertical Farming Podcast. And I've got such a fantastic relationship with my sponsor there, Cultivated. Shout out to Cultivated for being sponsors for seasons five and six. And I was wondering if there was something similar I could do because on that show, the first thing you hear is an ad read for my sponsor. And since I've got a fantastic sponsor for this show, I thought I'd maybe do something like that here. So always experimenting. There's no right answer here. There's no proven format that's supposed to work. I think what I like to do is shake myself out of my comfort zone and try new things. So I wanted to give a shout out specifically to Right. Dan Hewley and the team have been such great supporters of this show that I wanted to showcase them, give them a little stage presence here. And as of uh, this month, June, 2022, They've now released their new line of sound cards. It's the Vocaster line. It's a fantastic piece of gear. I've had the privilege of getting to test it out at a couple of the podcasting conferences that I've been to surreptitiously in the, in the hallways. I've been given a sneak peek of it. It's fantastic. It's got auto gain. You can easily set your levels with a click of a button. You get more than enough gain, 70 dB. You get to enhance mode, which is for podcaster-approved voice presets, and that'll bring out the best in any voice. You get to mute the mic with the touch of a button. You get to connect your phone, record phone calls, high-quality music, or any other audio from your device. You can record to a camera by plugging it in and recording directly to its memory card. The loopback feature allows you to stream calls from any other audio you can think of. And as if that wasn't enough, you get Hindenburg Light. To record and edit your audio, and you get three months of Squadcast Pro plus video to bring in your guests. On top of that, you get six months of ACAST Influencer to publish. So with Hindenburg Squadcast and ACAST, there's no excuses for you not to be publishing your show. So learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. That's V O C A S T E R. And I'd love to hear what you thought about approaching the show this way, just starting the show, giving the highlight to my sponsor, Focus Rights Feedback. Always welcome Harry at Podcast Junkies, or just tag me at Podcast underscore Junkies on Twitter, Podcast Junkies on Instagram, Facebook. I'm on all the socials. I think by now you know where to find me. I'd love to hear your feedback and what you thought about this approach. So now let's give you a little teaser of this week's episode.
1: Sold a business to Topshop, which is a um, female clothes retailer aimed at teenagers in the UK. Again, totally non connected to anything, but it came out of my daughter's need to find cheap clothing from her budget that we gave her. So she'd have 25 browser tabs open, going onto all these different fashion sites, looking for the sale item and waiting for the discount code because she was trying to maximize her budget. And I thought, I can write a real-time pricing tracker for you, darling, so I did.
0: All right, all right, all right, Podcast Junkies. Episode 295, welcome back. Thanks for being patient with me while I test out some new formats. You've heard my shout out to Focus right at the beginning of the show, so let's just talk about what's happening this week. But first, if you are new to the show, I normally don't change up formats like this. And so I want to let you know this is a podcast about the podcast community, about podcasters. It's the show we, where we search out interesting voices in podcasting. And quite honestly, we just want them to kick back their heels. We just want them to relax, talk about their shows or talk about whatever else is on their mind, their businesses, wine, uh, podcast conventions. <laughs> um, you get the idea. Nothing is off limits. And I just want to create this safe space for podcasters. And that's what I've been more conscious of as the years go by, as I learn to relax myself as a host and understand that I can try new things and it's okay. Some of them might fail miserably and with some of the things that might fall flat on my face, but that's okay. I think that's just the nature of podcasting. Last week I had a really fun conversation with Chris Martinez. He's the founder of Dude Agency. He's also a fan of Mexican wrestling and I'm glad that tidbit came out during our conversation because it sort of just loosened the mood and allowed us to just relax and talk about not only just business stuff, but really just stuff that's important to him on a day to day basis. Obviously we talked about all the work his agency is doing in web development and It was just interesting to hear about his entrepreneurial journey and how he was able to find hidden gems in remote work, which is a little challenging to do for those of you that haven't done it. So it's interesting to hear his take and how he's able to have success there. So much to cover here. Definitely want to get into that, but I just want to remind you that if you are loving the show, liking the show, or hating the show, either way, I'm open to it. I have thick skin. I want to hear it all. Head on over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies, and specifically tell me what you like or don't like about the show. I'm always open for that feedback. I want that back and forth communication. As always, I need to do a better job of giving folks the platform to engage with me. And the value for value model is something that's been top of mind for me. I recently heard Dave Jones' On Podland, another extended interview. Sam's really good at going deep on some of these topics that a lot of people and indie podcasters specifically don't talk about. So that's why I really have moved that show to the top of my podcasting queue as well. Make sure I don't miss one of those episodes. Newpodcastapps.com is the place to go. I've been diving deep into Fountain and want to really wrap my head around how to do this in a way that's engaging. I'd love to get more engagement from you. So if you are playing with those apps, you want to send me a Boost, Boostagram, which is essentially micropayments of Satoshis with a little note. I'd be more than happy to read those out. There could be some that have come in. I got to do a better job of tracking those down, so I'll make sure I do that. But please uh, keep those coming in if you are doing that, and I'll be sure to block out some time. Essentially, what I've noticed works for shows that I follow and I admire that are following this model is they have what they call the Boostagram Corner. I know that uh, James and Sam do this on Podland, obviously Dave and Adam do this on Podcasting 2.0. So I wanna get to the point where I have the discipline to do that on a consistent basis. So obviously I need some of those coming in first and then figure out ways on how I can thank you for your contributions and so more to come. I'm excited to possibly connect with that whole team at Podcast Movement in Dallas coming up in August. Man, this year is going by really, really fast. I'm really excited to share this week's guest with you. It is none other than Sam Sethi. Podcasters far and wide will probably recognize that name. He's the co-host of Podland. He's also an award-winning radio presenter and really just a master of multiple projects. And you'll hear all about today. We talk about the work he's doing not only on Podland, but at River Radio and of all things, he's in the wine import business. He's also launching a new agency. He was recently helping the team over at the podcast show in London. I had the honor and privilege of connecting with him at Podcast Movement Evolutions in Los Angeles. We just happened to stumble upon each other at the bar in the lobby. And he was sitting there and I was like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> Little did I know, it would turn out to be a fantastic and fun uh, three days of hanging out and pulling in other people into our orbit. I remember a nice dinner we had with Jessica Kupferman and Heather Osgood. And uh, it was nice, nice to get to know each other a little bit better. And we've had a follow up conversation. He was gracious enough to give me a nice extended interview on Podland, which some of you may have heard. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. And I uh, just want to get straight into it. So without further ado, let's uh, learn a little bit more about Mr. Sam.
1: I've got given a free double decker bus for all my festivals today. And and so we get we're driving up in a red bus and on the sides river radio. Downstairs we're putting in a studio and upstairs is a drinks bar. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's an open deck double decker bus. So upstairs will just be a party drinks thing. And then downstairs will be the um studio where we record and interview all the VIPs.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. Who's handing out double decker buses?
1: Well, really weird. I went <laughs> along to meet somebody about something else and she was measuring up for her bus and we were just chatting and I said and I said, What well, we're looking for a bus to do the festivals and I was about to pay some extortion amount of money to hire it. And she says, Well, I've got a double decker bus if you want it And I went, Okay, well how much do you want for it? She said, No, you can have it. She said, No worries. So I'm like, Fucking taking that. <laughs> Don't have to ask twice.
0: And that's how we introduce Sam Sethi to the Podcast Junkies show. (laughs) Welcome. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just the beauty of like podcasting is you just you just have to start the recording as soon as possible because you never know what you're going to hear and. The story of you being gifted a double-decker bus seems as good enough a story as as anyone. So Yeah, so
1: that was my day today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if if any part of that is not supposed to be public, then just... No, it's all
1: public. No, that was fine. You can say what you like on that one.
0: So that's River Radio. So there's so many things we want to cover on this show. We got connected at Podcast Movement Evolutions, which now seems eons ago, probably a couple of months ago. And... I knew of you through Podland with you which you and James hosted, so I don't even know where to start, but um, let's start with uh, how you ended up connecting with James for Podland okay
1: so a couple of years ago, I was podcasting on my own doing a technology show and I did a podcast festival with Cara Swisher and James Cridland yeah. and a whole bunch of other people and I said, "Look." After it, I said, James, hey, you do pod news, which is like this two minute podcast. Do you fancy doing a longer podcast? And he said, I've always wanted to do a longer podcast, but I've never got round to it. And I didn't know who I was going to do it with. And I said, well, do you want to try it with me? You know, you never know. It might work. It might not. And I have to say the first two or three episodes, if you ever listen back to them, are car crash podcasts, right? Awful, awful. We hadn't got it Right. You know, we didn't know who was asking the questions, who was answering the questions, and then I decided to play the dumb interviewer and let James play the podcast expert, and that's worked ever since.
0: (laughs) What was the inspiration like? I I imagine there were a couple of things on your plate at that point, and and why did you feel the need to take on another project? Because, as as we'll soon find out to your listener Sam, there's no shortage of, of. Shiny objects for, for Sam to, to, to play with. <laughs> yeah. So I started
1: TechCrunch Europe with Mike Carrington. And back in the day, I did very similar. I just approached Mike Carrington one day and said, hey, Mike, you haven't got a TechCrunch Europe. Do you want me to write and run that for you? And he went, yeah, okay. So that was how TechCrunch Europe started. And I'd been involved in the tech scene of London for a couple of years running events just being involved as a an angel being involved in you know just sort of that scene of putting on events for other people i mean one of my favorite events was do you remember the film the social network
0: yeah of course yeah
1: so when that came out i decided to book of cinema in leicester square and just booked every seat no one was invited at that time. Just booked the whole thing. And then I went on to Facebook to all my mates and said, anyone want to come and watch this film with me? And we filled out all 255 seats. So we had, all of us were drinking uh, wine or beer and watching the film together. So it was a bit of fun. So I've been doing a lot of that. And that's when TechCrunch came about. And obviously that's history now. And then I decided that, same with Podland really. It was like, I could see a market opportunity for someone to talk more about the industry. Now, I know there's other podcasts that do it, but James is the industry expert on it. And I thought, why not go to the mountain and meet Muhammad?
0: (laughs) I'm sure James would appreciate that compliment. I'm sensing in what you did with Michael and what you did with James, there's some sense of curiosity that's inherent in you. Some sense of adventure, some sense of like doing things that haven't been tried before. Where's that come from?
1: I'm born curious. I think I probably wasn't born curious when I was a youngster. I was a sports mad person playing rugby and and, and any, any sport really. And then I started to do one of those things called an MBA, which now I say stands for more bullshit than anyone else. <laughs> but at the time, you know, everyone was getting one. So I thought I better get one. But actually, the benefit of the MBA, apart from, you know, adding it to the CV, was it opened up my mind to so many different things. And I became avarice to read. I don't know why. And suddenly, from that point forward, I just consume content, knowledge. I'm just curious now. I'm just fundamentally curious. It's like, uh, I'm sure we'll come on to it later, starting a radio station when you've never started a radio station.
0: Yeah. yeah. Were you curious as a child?
1: I was precociously bright when I was a child. I did what in this country is called an 11 plus. So entry to senior school, you do it when you're 10. And then you get entered into grammar school at 11 if you pass the exam. I passed that exam at nine. And, you know, so I guess I must have been fairly, at one point in my life, intelligent. Clearly not now. But then, at the point of then, yeah, no, I, I guess I was. But I didn't call it curiosity. I just called it you know whatever precociousness
0: do you find that uh, there's a a difference culture wise in terms of ability to be self-deprecating that comes naturally for (laughs) non-americans obviously (laughs) americans have no problem tooting their own horn so i'm curious if that's something that's you've observed over over the years i think british people are but we're also
1: sarcastic as well so um that's one thing that Americans sort of can't quite get from us unless they, they've been in the company of Brits for a while. So we've got three traits. We we are self-deprecating, we are sarcastic, and we drink like a fish. And uh, <laughs> basically never, ever go out with the Brits if you're there drinking.
0: Yeah, and if you put all three of those together, it ends up being a, a, a very entertaining <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: when I was at Microsoft, uh, I was there as a engineer to begin with. And we had uh, one of these big conferences in Paris, where all the system engineers from around the world got together, and no one had warned the American system engineers about us. And so we took them all out; we got them absolutely smashed. Because obviously, no offence, but American beer is much lighter than than European beer in terms of alcohol strength. And so we were just downing it, and they we were, they were following us downing the same amount. <laughs> Of course they crashed and burned and then the next morning it was a rule amongst the british system engineers you had to attend whatever it was seven in the morning get up get there as soon as the lights go down fall asleep again but you had to be on parade and of course we got there on parade the full english compliment but the french the belgians the americans the italians nowhere to be seen
0: <laughs> <laughs> and where's your love of technology come from
1: so I was an army officer in the Paras. When I came out, I had no skills. My two skills were I could march and I could sh- kill people by shooting them. Not really needed in civilian street. Yeah. I, would you like to march and shoot that person over there? In No, no one actually wanted to hire me to do any of that. So uh-huh. I ended up being a city broker because basically they're as dumb as they come. literally watch the screen go red or blue oh look it's gone blue sell it's gone red buy you know it's not it's not hard being a bond trader and it absolutely bored me to tears so i got involved in technology by chance it was the early days of dos um the early days of windows 2.1 excel this new spreadsheet to take on lotus had just come out and it was a mouse-based visual program so Clearly, they could tell I didn't like trading because I was bored. So they stuck me in a corner to come up with a trading system using the spreadsheet. And I sort of enjoyed that. And again, I guess that's the curiosity in me. I It was a new challenge. It was something different. Anyway, long story short, Microsoft came knocking on the door, said, oh, quite like what you've done. Do you want to come and work for us as a systems engineer? And I was in the early days in Microsoft UK, I think something crazily early, you know one of the first fifty in the u k something like that, and um wow. so yeah, I ended up at Microsoft and in Microsoft, I saw the evolution of Word access, Microsoft office, windows nt, and then you know, so all of those programs didn't exist before I joined, and they just evolved, yeah as I was there
0: I too learned on Lotus one, two three <laughs> interestingly enough word perfect. it was interesting those days just. <laughs> Word perfect. That was the, the dominant word processor, right? The blue screen, like yeah. PC magazine, and it was interesting to, to see all the software battles going on. And it must have been interesting for you to have a, a perspective from within Microsoft for those days.
1: Well, I'll tell you the craziest thing was we used to be a demo dolly for Microsoft. I mean, that's my job, right? It used to be have a bit of technical knowledge and then go and present Microsoft Office or whatever it would be to the crowds or the channel. And I remember, I mean, this is how It feels like another generation, but it's not. It's it's probably 30 years ago. We're not talking 50 or 100 years. But I remember showing somebody cut and paste. And I'm going, what did you just do? Did you, what? You took it out of Excel. You made a chart and it went into Word. How you, you magician, you're a sorcerer, you know. And it was just cut and paste, right? And then I, I, I remember sending the first email, people that had never seen email. And, uh, you know, we had this thing called Windows for Workgroups with a piece of Ethernet attached. And we would send an email from one place to the next. And people go, my God, what have you just done? That's amazing. And it's, you know, and of course, the best story ever, though, is that one of the sales guys in Microsoft UK decided on one of these days he was demoing email was to go and look up Bill Gates in the... um, Microsoft directory internal directory, right? So, you know, he's going (laughs) add Bill Gates to the two CC All the European heads of Microsoft Blah blah sales team across the whole world, right? And then he said oh and look I can type my email and I can attach a Document to this and everyone's in the rooms go. Ooh, it's amazing Because what he forgot to do was he hit send but of course it was off-site So he didn't send it right so he, it's in his outbox, but stupidly, he forgot to delete it from his outbox. So he gets back into Microsoft, connects back to the network, and of course, this email goes firing out. Oh
0: my so God.
1: everyone is getting this, suddenly this ping, 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 this email, and you sort of go, you look at it, but it has Bill Gates at the top. So you're thinking, shit, I better <laughs> have a look at this, right? And of course, everyone's <laughs> reading the attached document, which he basically wrote, dear dad, I work for the evil empire. Christ does not exist in this company, blah, blah, blah. And you just should have seen, I think we were counting, like 10, 9, security, 8, 7. He's off the building, 5, 4, fired, gone. You know, he's literally. So, yeah.
0: Really? That fast? Oh, my God. Absolutely. That's great. What's your, um, fondest memory or, or, um, of just those early days, early tech or early gadgets or computers? It, it was just so fun for me, not only like reading the magazines, but like here in the States, it was either, I mean, early, early for me is the Radio Shack, the Tandy 1000, Texas Instruments, the Gateway 2000s, just, playing those early games and feeling like you're literally like the mosaic browser just you know you're on the cutting edge and discovering like especially discovering the internet in those days i'm wondering if you can place yourself back in that mindset of in that sense of wonder at like what was happening
1: well you know as i said the cut and paste was like the ooh moment but i think the biggest ooh moment was um connecting to the internet for the first time for me so I moved from Microsoft to this little-known company called Netscape with a browser called Netscape Navigator. And uh, I was European product manager. So my job was to, you know, go out to corporate clients and explain what the internet was. And, of course, you go out and you say, hey, look, I've got this thing. It's called a browser. Yeah, what's it do? Well, you type HTTP colon forward slash forward slash. i go, you'll never remember that. Where's C colon slash slash? you know, file, right? So I said, like, no, 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 this is the internet. Of course, there was bugger all on the internet at the time. It was like a a floating dolphin or some really dirty, jazzy banners, right? Do you remember those, you know, like glitzy banners with black and white screens? It was just the worst UI ever. And I basically remember going out, but I remember the first time I connected to the internet and I think that was the most amazing part. The other part for me was... I had a lunch with Tim Berners-Lee. Now I didn't know Tim Berners-Lee was gonna be that famous, right? I hadn't really done my research.
0: Well, for the few people who might not know Tim Berners-Lee, you might wanna let the listener in on in on who who he is. Well
1: there's a wonderful symmetry. So, Sir Tim Berners Lee, as he is now known, uh, was the inventor of the web, not the internet, the web. And some people confuse the two the internet being the underlying protocols and architecture, which Vint Cerf had a lot to do with. But the web was the UI, the HTML, and, and the HTTP interface. And what's fascinating, though, if you've ever read the Walter Isaacson book about Steve Jobs, and it just, I love the symmetry because Steve Jobs. You know, along with Tim Berners-Lee, one of my heroes. Steve Jobs, when he left Apple for the first time, went and formed a new company called Next. And Next lent Tim Berners-Lee the computer that he wrote the first web page on. So Steve Jobs is involved in creating the internet along with Sir Tim Berners-Lee. And they bought this absolutely That's great. It was a Unix-based laptop desktop, I think. And from Next. Of course, Next then. Did some of the Pixar films and then obviously they got took next back into uh, Apple. Of course, Mac OS is based on that same platform. But yeah, I, I loved that whole symmetry of the internet and how it all worked. But Sir Tim Berners-Lee at the time wasn't sir and I hadn't done my history very well. And we were having this Netscape lunch where he was guest of honor. And I was sat next to him and I asked him no intelligent questions. I actually said <laughs> nothing useful. It was like the biggest wasted opportunity. So so where do you live then, Tim? You know, and what do you do? Well, I work at CERN. Oh, what's CERN then? You know, yeah. no frigging idea. that you know, he wrote the web and I'm sat there and he's got up, done his speech, sat down next to me. I went, oh, that's very nice. And and that was it. I never talked to him. Now, I would die to have that lunch with him, right? Yeah. But, you know
0: wasted opportunity that's okay how long were you at netscape
1: probably just under four years not long i saw some really interesting i saw the beginning of rss i saw the beginning of so mike i was mike said mike homer i think unfortunately died but he created the first web homepage for netscape so then of course you saw yahoo and then you saw msn and and, and all these other home pages And these shopping channels. But so we saw, yeah, we saw some really interesting stuff. But of course, you saw the, I was right in the middle of the browser wars with Microsoft, you know, IE6, 7 and 8 with ActiveX and some of the rubbish that they produced. (laughs) It was rubbish. And yeah, I mean, today, obviously, Netscape's legacy is that it's fundamentally became Chrome.
0: Yeah. Where'd you head to after that?
1: A really weird company called MicroStrategy, who have an amazing CEO. So I was worldwide marketing director for MicroStrategy. I had no idea why they hired me, but they paid me a lot of money to go and work for them in Washington, D.C., down in Tyson's Corner. So I was like flown over, and Mike Saylor was under 40. He was something like 35 at the time, and we're pre-IPO. No
0: Bitcoin at that time. (laughs)
1: No Bitcoin, but that comes into this story, doesn't it? But he basically flew everyone out from around the world, and his goal was to hire one of those cruise liners out of Florida and sail it around the Caribbean just as a micro-strategy boat. And so for two or three years before I joined, he'd managed to get a third, then a half, then three quarters. So this year, the year I joined, he managed to get the whole boat was just micro-strategy. So I land there, get onto this boat, my first team meeting was in the hot tub so there's me semi-naked in my swim trunks sitting in this hot tub with three <laughs> girls and two guys who are my marketing team and I'm like hi nice to meet you I'm your boss type thing you know hi I'm Sam wow. and the weirdest start to a job I've ever had and then what Mike Sailor did was between every island he just would Present us to death about what microstrategy was, what database rollout was. I was like falling asleep, bored, shitless. But, you know, it was great. We played football on the beach. We did all sorts of crazy things in Cancun. Yeah, and Mike Saylor, bless his cotton socks, richest guy under 40 when they IPO'd. And recently, as you said, he took the corporate spare cash and basically converted 15, what was it, million, I think, into Bitcoin, and became the world's biggest holder of Bitcoin at the time, I think. And his view was, and I think it's quite sensible, instead of doing buyback of stock, which is what most corporate companies do to inflate their share price, he basically said, I'm going to put it into Bitcoin, because when the Feds start to clamp down on share buybacks, which I think they're about to do in the States, then we won't be able to do that. And also they'll start taxing our corporate holdings. But I can now move it with a flick of my digital wallet to Switzerland or to wherever I want in the world. So he's basically got his money out of a fixed asset into a liquid asset as far as he's concerned.
0: Did you have a lot of interaction with him when you were at the company?
1: No, I mean, there was a guy there called Sanjay Bansal, who was the COO. And he was, in my opinion, the real brains behind MicroStrategy. He was the guy who really got it all doing. I think Michael Saylor was the crazy, you know, sort of front of house entrepreneur who would make these crazy long statements and do silly ideas. But And he was super, super bright, don't get me wrong. But Sanjay was the guy who actually took what was an idea thrown over the fence to him caught it and made it operational and and turned it into money yeah so i spent a lot of time with sanjay more than i did with mike
0: yeah i think i was familiar with microstrategy because i used to work at um e-trade and i was responsible for implementing uh, their business o- intelligence solution business objects uh, okay. and so you would hear about some of these other yeah other similar competitors in the space in which business objects are actually get bought by sap so
1: yeah i mean they they're all in the right space to begin with the data what you would now call business intelligence and what they call roll up or online analytical processing and all of that stuff, we now call cloud, right? It's just basically large databases in the cloud that crunch numbers, whether it's in real time because you can get close to real time or it's historical data, right? And it's just the, the networks weren't strong enough or fast enough then.
0: So talk to me a little bit about the transition, whether it's positions after microstrategy, but when did you start to kind of go off on your own? You mentioned angel investing and what were some of the earlier entrepreneurial projects you started working on?
1: Yeah. So without going into too much depth, I mean, I left microstrategy because it wasn't the right fit for me. I didn't really want to talk roll up and databases when I came out of a web world So it was just the wrong company for me. I joined uh, Gateway Computers around their European online business. And that was real smoke and mirrors. That really was smoke and mirrors. So, I mean, Dell would basically... How so? Oh, I mean, so what would happen was Dell would actually... Well, we don't know. We assume Dell had this proper online system from web through to order. Right. And that was their big stick. So I was asked to join Gateway to come up with the online e-commerce business for Gateway, right? The competitor. So I joined and there was a guy there called another Michael. He'll come back to me. Anyway, Michael basically was the god of Dublin, which is where Gateway were in Europe. And he had thousands of call center guys. So Gateway's model was put the ads out into all the newspapers on a Monday. And then the call center would just be waiting to take the orders, do the orders in an AS400 and ship the product. So I joined and he basically suddenly realized I was a threat to him because this was his empire. He was the god of Dublin. He hired everyone. And so when he went out drinking, it was, Michael, have a pint on us, you know, blah, 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 and eat here for free and whatever. Of course, I come <laughs> in and some of his budget has now been allocated to my team to create an online business fundamentally to remove his business. So sure. the first part of our business was real smoke and mirrors. We had to create an interface to an AS400 that didn't exist. So what we decided to do was just create a web page where you typed out a form and literally you can imagine someone behind the web's, page, pulling off a piece of paper, and then going over to the AS400 and <laughs> typing it all back in. But we went to market and said, Gateway Computers has now automated online business. It wasn't automated, and it wasn't online.
0: That's funny. Wow. And how long did that last?
1: <laughs>
0: a couple of years,
1: and then I left there, okay. and wanted to do my own thing. Uh, that's when I started my own sort of, okay. let's get into this sort of internet world that I really wanted to get into. So I started off with a small business e-commerce platform. So having done a big business e-commerce platform, I was looking at how small businesses could do that. So we created that company with the world's worst name called Ecology, Equal Technology. <laughs> I swear. You know, my marketing hats are so bad. <laughs> so there's worse names I've come up with, but Ecology was the name of that one. That's a mouthful. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was awful, and it was all built in Flash, and it was just pants. It really was a pants. What crop. could possibly go wrong? Oh, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But we sold that company, made a f- uh, few pennies. That was quite nice. And with that money, I then did another company, which was a providing all the new house builders in the uk with broadband wireless and a windows pc think of it like you go into a new house and you get fixtures and fittings your carpet your curtains whatever these were your it fixtures and fittings so all that would happen is a new home buyer would go oh yes i'd like some wi-fi some broadband and a laptop right and they put it onto the house price stupidest thing they could ever do most expensive purchase ever paying for broadband over 25 years. But who knows, right? Or a laptop that (laughs) appreciates over 25 years for the mortgage. But that's what they would do, right? And so suddenly, every house builder wanted to differentiate their their red brick building from the next one that's a red brick building. So IT was the way to do it. So we built that one. Here you go. Really bad name again, Abracor.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a magic trick.
1: Oh, well... It was smoke and mirrors, that one, Um, because we never touched anything. We basically, we went to British Telecom, the BT provider, and we said to them, we've signed up every housing developer in the UK. Would you like to provide broadband? And they went, yes, we would. Then we went to Microsoft and said, we've signed up BT and every housing broadband, uh, every housing developer in the UK would you like to provide a PC from one of your channel partners? Yes, we would. Then we went to the housing developer and said, we've just got BT and Microsoft signed up. Would you like to sign up with us? And they went, yes, we would. And then we got Microsoft to give us the whole of Microsoft's amphitheater to invite all these developers to. So it made it look like Microsoft were endorsing us, which they weren't. And so we basically, on the back of that one event, signed every housing developer up. So literally we told everyone that we were... Well, we fundamentally were faking it until we made it, right? And then we basically gave the orders from the housing developers straight to BT, who then sent their own engineer. So our company was only about six people, and we did every house developer in the UK. Wow. So, yeah, that really was abracadabra.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious... Just to to peel that back a little bit, and this may be reflected in your future endeavors, what are you thinking? What's I'm curious about your what's going through your mind in terms of what you're seeing as an opportunity or what you would you see, did you see something missing in the market? Did you just look back at your Rolodex of connections? You know, how when you decided to work that this was going to be the next project, I'm just curious about like what was going through your mind and and how you started piecing this together.
1: The equality one was very logical, you know, big tech e-commerce to small tech e-commerce that was just a fairly logical transition the housing one was just my business partner at the time was one of my rugby mates who asked me out of curiosity and said look do you know how we could get broadband to this housing project and when we put our heads together and came up with it it was just a bit of yeah you're right connections i had connections in microsoft bt from my time there and yeah connecting it all together seemed logical the, the businesses i did after again Came about by chance, and I sold a business to Topshop, which is a um, female clothes retailer aimed at teenagers in the UK. Again, totally non connected to anything, but it came out of my daughter's need to find cheap clothing from her budget that we gave her. So she'd have 25 browser tabs open going on to all these different fashion sites looking for the sale item and waiting for the discount code because she was trying to maximize her budget. And I thought, I can write a real-time pricing tracker for you, darling. So I did. And out of that came another business. So I I created a real-time price. Think of Google for fashion that did real-time price tracking for teenagers. And I wrote that.
0: Coolest dad ever.
1: Well, at the time, I thought... (laughs) But, you know, it uh, often a lot of it comes from – I love technology. I think it it just fascinates me and what you can achieve with it when you know what you're doing. Most of it opens up so many doors. Maybe too many doors is sometimes the challenge, but it opens up many doors. And, of course, you know, the radio station that I'm doing now came about by chance of a friend saying, do you want to do a radio show with me, to me going, if I'm going to do a radio show, why don't I build a business to do a radio show that's my problem. I never just do the simple thing and walk away. (laughs) I have to either own it, build it or sell it.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the the radio station, the the origin story and and how that's grown into what you have so far.
1: Yeah. As I said, I just got invited to do an 80s show on a local radio station as a co-host. And, you know, I've always had this itch to do it. You know, I was, I was just started podcasting So I got used to hearing my voice in my ears, which is one of the weirdest things when you first podcast, isn't it? You know, what I sound like, God, I didn't think I thought I sound like that. Anyway, so after you've played Shalimar and Diana Ross and Michael Jackson for about the 50th time, you are bored of playing 80s music. I love the 80s, but not every day. And so then I started- Were you playing vinyl? No, 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 no. It's all, it's all digital systemed. Okay. And, um, but I learned how to do, I mean, you know, there was some real bad shows. Thank God none of them are recorded and kept. But, um, you know, leaving mics up by mistake and talking over the end of tracks. Ah, oh, just total bad radio, right? But you learn, you do it, you learn.
0: Give us a little sample of your uh, DJ voice.
1: Oh, <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to River Radio. Today, we're going to play this soul show. And first up is this
0: Luther Vandross
1: track. Take it away, Luther. Perfect. Oh, so cheesy. But I got a bug for it. Yeah, I got a real bug. And I decided to say to them, typically, the people who own this radio station, should we do more? Let me try and get more listeners. And should we get more marketing? And we should do more of these things. And there was no interest. So I I started to do... Fundamentally, I used that radio station to do my podcast. So I'd actually go in and record my podcast live in the radio station. So I created a show called Sam Talks Technology, and I'd interview people like Eric Yuan and the guys from Alexa and Microsoft and whatever. And this local radio station was putting out interviews that seemed really weird for the local community, but I didn't really care. It was all about me recording the podcast live and then editing that podcast and putting it out as a podcast. So that's how it worked. And then I went, I'll start my own radio station if they don't want to make it any bigger. So I'd never ever knew how to do it, but I researched it like all these things worked out how to do it. And now I've got a radio station with 45 presenters. We do about 20, 25,000 daily listeners and all the shows are automatically converted to a podcast using technology from Wooshka. So we are a podcast first radio station
0: lots of questions there that would be specific just to the radio station but how long has the the station been up and running just under 18 months now and you just went live i think when we were at podcast movement you were mentioning that you actually had the ability to just sit in the car and
1: <laughs> yeah so over in the uk or europe i don't think it's over in america you have am and fm which we have but we have another level called dab which is digital audio broadcasting so it's that next level up from fm and again most european cars uh certainly 90 percent of european cars have a dab receiver in it so although when we first started the radio station we had web mobile and alexa and google people in this country don't think you're a proper radio station until they can get you in the car right that is when you're a proper radio station And so getting on DAB was the goal and we did. And we've got a, we've got a footprint now of seven million people we can reach across the UK in the area I live in. And we have no other commercial radio station to compete with us. So we've got a lovely little monopoly and let's see where we are in a year's time. But you know, right now we're doing some good numbers, we're building, but it's exciting. Yeah.
0: What is it about? This specific project, or is it just a thread that runs through everything you take on that keeps you motivated and keeps you excited to move forward?
1: Doing something new, doing something different. So people might say, well, radio's not new, but it's the format and structure of the radio that we've changed. So we don't do commercial ads, we only have sponsors. Every show is just one hour. So it's a podcast. So going back to what I said about Sam Talks Technology being a live show that was recorded as a podcast. I've yeah. basically done the same thing, but I've automated it. And what I love about it is part of it is taking what is traditional radio and trying to turn it on its head and make a new commercial business out of radio, which, you know, isn't mm-hmm. natural. So now any of our listeners can listen to us live. They can listen to her again on the web, or they can listen to a podcast. They can listen to. There is, we're not a music radio station, we're more of a talk radio station, so we have shows on wine, parenting, books. So we don't expect someone to listen seven to seven. They dip in, they dip out. It means we can build communities and tribes around each show, and that means sponsors want to get to those people. And because we're digital, we can track the numbers exactly, so we know exactly how many people listen to each show. And it just means that we've got this really good way of building hyper-local content around with local community and getting sponsors in. It's a trade sale in three years. That's what I'm looking at.
0: And it's dynamic and ever-changing enough to keep you interested.
1: Yeah, because we're still in that build phase. So we were talking about maybe at the beginning, if it's still in the recording, me having a double-decker bus at festivals, right? And that's just a crazy fun idea to do. And I mean, it's been done before. I'm not unique, but I haven't done it before. And so for me, I'm coming up with all the things I want to do. So I'm going to be interviewing various, you know, music artists. So Sister Sledge, Craig David. I've never interviewed these guys before. I'm doing a two-hour DJ set to 20,000 people before one of the acts just to keep them in 80s
0: music warmed up.
1: You know, I'm I'm open.
0: Which is my jam, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) good. I'm an 80s child and and DJ too, so that's fine. Well, come on over. Yeah, I'd love to.
1: So, yeah, so look, I'm going to have a bit of fun with it, have a bit of thinking. So, for example, the, the Wooshka integration, taking our live stream into Wooshka, converting that to a podcast on the fly and having that automated, most people weren't doing that. Now you're beginning to hear radio stations do that. I've just gone the other side of the fence as well and come up with a new way of automating the post-radio show social media. So now every show that we have, we create four clips using AI, and we post those out to social media endpoints automatically. That's great. Again, it's just looking at how do you do this differently to what traditional radio would do.
0: You almost, you have this uh, tinkering mindset like you're always trying new things you're always testing new things out seeing you know it feels like there's an aspect to this that you always have to have uh that creative technical aspect of your mind always stimulated spot on absolutely spot on i
1: get bored quickly so uh three years is probably the the limit of my um, interest in something if it's not continually moving forward if it stagnates after two three years i'm like Nah, I'll move on. Luckily, so far, most of the time, I have moved on. You know, it's like micro-sashi. I gave it a couple of years. It was just boring. I couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand me. I was the wrong person in the wrong space. I was the round peg in the square hole, right? And just yeah. wrong decision. You know, I, I went for money, and it was just the worst decision. Sure. You know, so sometimes you've just got to accept that you can try things, um, but often just by trying things doesn't mean they're the right thing. And if you, if you can you know, chalk that down to experience and move on quickly to the next thing you want to try, then you're fine. So long as you, you know, don't have 15 failures behind you, then that's maybe just not the right person. But if you have one or two, that's fine. That's okay.
0: So naturally those projects would be more than enough to keep people's uh, hands full and and days full, but that uh, is not the case for you because as I've learned, (laughs) there's other projects and ventures that you currently have in the works as well so i'll let you decide which one (laughs) you'd like to mention next so one of my projects is i have a wine importing business
1: called the Wine winekeller.com and that started with a good german friend of mine 20 odd years ago when we were out in portugal i said should we order some wine he said yeah we'll get some german wine i went oh god not german that's rubbish don't do it and he said, we just don't give you Brits the good stuff. So he ordered this German wine, and it was amazingly good, right? It was a Riesling at the time. And I went, wow, okay. is there more of this stuff that you've got that you don't tell us about? And he went, yeah, loads of it, right? So yeah. we set up the wine colour business, and we were importing German Rieslings and... Grunewet-Lieners and uh, Spatzbegunder. I mean, most people go, huh, what are you talking about? Well, Spatzbegunder just means Pinot Noir, right? But it's just badly labeled and misunderstood. But actually the um, terroir,
0: the the growing... And harder to pronounce.
1: Yeah, harder to pronounce, but German <laughs> words are always harder to pronounce. I mean, they like to use the whole alphabet. They're very useful. They get the whole alphabet in a word. I've never seen German scrabble, but I bet you it's bloody hard. But, um, that's funny. Yeah. But given that, so we started importing this wine and we don't touch it now. It's a, again, going back to my gateway days, it's a fully automated system. So the wine comes from the producer straight into a bonded warehouse in London. Then the restaurants, we don't sell to consumers. We sell B2B only and businesses just order it and it gets delivered and that's it. So we very rarely see it. But what we do do, and I love doing, and I'm going over next week, May the 5th, we go, and do tours with friends of all the wine vineyards. So we're going to the Bordeaux next week. Electric bikes, so we get there, we base camp down, and then we go and see about six or eight different vineyards and basically taste and eat as you go to each vineyard. But we use electric bikes to get around, so it's great fun.
0: Is that just a passion project or anything you've learned from there as a business owner? No,
1: just a lot about wine. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Is that important for you to, 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 to have a project like that, that sort of lights up your personal passions as well as, you know, we talked about all the stuff that stimulates your technical curiosity, but this was something that's, you know, you were just personally curious about something that you enjoyed. And, and then obviously the entrepreneurial mindset kicks in. And you're like, well, is, is it possible? Could I could enjoy this and make a business of it at the same time?
1: That's fundamentally what it was. How can I get free wine? That was basically the goal. How do I get free wine? I think the radio station is how do I get free tickets. I think most of my life is how do I get something for free, basically. So it was like, how do I get free clothes for my daughter? Let's set up that business. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the underlying thing, actually. Maybe I'm not just curious. Maybe I'm just tight. Maybe I just need to spend no money. Yeah.
0: We talked about one more project you're working on. I don't know if that's ready for public announcement.
1: I can touch on it. It's not ready yet. It's it's in the okay. it's in the oven cooking, as they say. It's a company called Viral Tribe and I'm doing it with two friends and the business is basically looking at taking celebrities and producing their podcasts for them uh, but monetizing them. But we've built a platform as well. I won't go into too many details on that. It's the platform that differentiates. Again, it's technology, which I love. So I'm building that platform. My two business partners are, are very well connected with commercial and celebrity. So we, we sort of work well together so we can go and find good celebrities, bring them to create a interesting podcast. They've got high network value in terms of their social networks or, or they're very well known. Um, and then we can slam in um, a brand around that and monetize it. Now, look, is that unique no what is unique is the platform and the way that we do it and the way that we build certain user-generated interactions and that's what's going to make it interesting so you know it's that element i'd love to tell you more but i won't tell you more at this ha- point harry you actually know more but you yeah. can't say anything either so <laughs> i
0: can't yeah yeah i'm looking there's some interesting uh, ideas possible ways to work together some interested to continue to pursue those exactly is there room for you to start new projects or do you feel you're at capacity? No,
1: i'm, I'm fully booked now i am seriously fully booked <laughs> i'm at the point where sleep is the final frontier and i love to have more of it but you know as i always say i'll go to my grave exhausted i've got plenty of time to sleep when i'm in the coffin so yeah. i guess my army days i got used to sleeping very little i can function pretty well on little sleep Jet lag at podcast movement. Prove that I was, I was not sleeping at all, and and uh, but that was great. No, I don't think I'll take on anything else. I've had some crazy fun thoughts. of Oh, I've got one other project I'm doing. Sorry, I forgot that. We bought a tugboat and we created a beer pub on the water.
0: <laughs> of course, you did. And so,
1: so me and three mates put in a little bit of money. We bought a tugboat and. The local landlord of one of the pubs in the village I live in is going to run it in the summer, and so where I live is in a place called Marlow. If anyone knows it, it's on the River Thames. It's very, very pretty. If you, if uh, anyone in America was thinking of English chocolate box village, that is Marlow. Look it up, and we're going to moor the boat there, and uh, the boat's called the
0: Crafty Tug. Very good. Okay, and then that's your final project. That right. is it. No now more. I promise you. I'm done. <laughs> It seems like uh, when and if I come out to visit, I'll, I'll need to almost plan a full week just to get in all the activities.
1: <laughs> well, you'll, you'll have a lot of fun, I promise you, when you do come. So, uh, yeah, do come over soon. I mean, the summer festival season in, in England, I mean, I'm sure it's great everywhere else. But where I live, we, we're on the, you know, we've got Royal Ascot, we've got Newbury Racecourse, we've got Henley Regatta. We've got Marlowe Regatta, so everyone dresses up. And then you've got Wimbledon and you've got Windsor Castle. So we're right in the middle of what you would call the English summer season. And, you know, with the radio station, we're going to be at these festivals. So party time on the party bus. So you're very welcome,
0: Harry. Very nice. What's been your take on, as a relative newcomer to the podcasting space, Podcast Movement was your first podcast uh, conference, so I'm just curious. Like, what was your, you know, what were you thinking about when you got back home with your experience with James on on Podland? Obviously, you know, you haven't been in as long as some of the folks that I've had on, but I'm I'm just very curious as given the experience you've had, you know, what your your thoughts on the industry, where we are, where we're headed, what's what's what the possibilities look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, Podcast Movement was great. It was great to put faces to names of people I'd heard about and people are interviewed but never met physically. It's a funny thing. People are much taller in real life than they are on Zoom. That was one of my first perceptions. (laughs) (laughs) So James and I had never met when we were – that was the first time we'd ever met at Podcast Movement, so that was quite an interesting thing. I think the other thing that I've been lucky to be involved in my time of podcasting, which has only been, as you said, a few years – But in those few years, Podcast Index has started, and we've seen this massive transition in the industry, right? The last few years has had more change probably than in the last 20 years of podcasting, right, when it first started. Yeah. So I've been very lucky to get in... When technology is changing and suddenly we've got YouTube with video podcasting. And this week, as we record, Spotify's just announced video as well with anchor. And, and suddenly you've got, you know, more and more people looking at how they can create interactive podcasts as well. That's another big thing coming out. So suddenly this whole industry is getting really smart and clever. But at the same time, I think PR companies and brand agencies are beginning to wake up to the potential reach and the, the vertical communities that are being created about podcasts. So I think a lot of brands are now going, actually, if I go onto that podcast and talk to that audience, I'm reaching the specific platform that I should be right. And I think yeah. you've got the collision of three or four things right now. So brands are coming on board saying, yeah, this could be really cool and great ROI. And the same time, you've got more and more listeners again, turning away from traditional music radio because music on radio isn't where it needs to be in terms of the tastemakers aren't there they're on TikTok and they're on youtube and they're on spotify so kids are going there so music radio is dying a lot over here and talk radio is picking up what is talk radio it's just podcasting right so podcasting and talking and kids getting into different things and all of this has been happening i mean in the UK, for example, we've got this podcast called My Dad Wrote a, wrote a Porno, which is, it's oh, hilarious. Yeah. My and, partner loves it. <laughs> yeah. And, but this year, they just sold out Wembley Arena, 20,000 people watching the podcast live. How friggin' mad's that, right? A couple of years ago, no one would have done that, right? Ricky Gervais does his podcast live at Russell Brand. They sell out. You know, and you're seeing Adam Buxton on tour live with his podcast. So I think we are seeing a wonderful tipping point into podcasting. I'm not saying because I joined the industry, it's happened, but you know, who knows? (laughs) Now I'm only joking, but the timing, the timing (laughs) couldn't have been any better for me. I think it means that when James and I do Podland, I mean, every week, I think, what are we going to talk about? And every week there's something new and exciting to discuss or look at and that's exciting so we're in an industry that's growing and it's exciting how long it lasts who knows
0: yeah it's, it's been uh, exciting to get to know you and, and the way things happen at these podcast conferences i just happened to be strolling through the the lobby and there you were sitting I'm down so thankful. <laughs> <And> i'm like <laughs> and i'm like and thankfully the way these things work we we roped in heather osgood we roped in jessica kufferman and we managed to have a, a really nice dinner and then it's so fun because that's one of those things that only happens at a podcast conference. And you just happen to get these people that just happen to be at the same time at this, you know, connecting together. And we ended up hanging out for the next few days and uh, really, really had a good time. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to get to know you a little bit more. So, and, and to use that as a springboard to come on here
1: well i mean i was so thankful to you because i was like the little lost boy at the conference right who do i talk to i know nobody here and then harry kindly took me under his wing let me introduce you to a few people oh thanks harry and that was it basically and we got drunk after that no no we were very sensible and and didn't drink at all yes mother (laughs) but no it was just a lot of fun and Out of it, as you say, serendipity. Jess Kaufman's asked me to help her produce her podcast for, you know, in Europe, so...
0: She podcasts. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Yeah,
1: it's going to have a London event in 2023.
0: Yeah, one more project for Sam.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's so far away. We can get to that when it happens,
0: yeah. (laughs) A couple of questions as we wrap up. What's uh, the most misunderstood thing about you? Interesting question. What's most misunderstood? I
1: guess people sometimes underestimate me and i'm quite happy with that you we talked about self-effacing and not yeah. you know blowing your own trumpet and i'm not one to blow my own trumpet i just enjoy doing what i do but yeah. but i actually have a, a fairly strong depth of knowledge in certain aspects of what i do and i quite pleased to be both a coder roll up your sleeves um, get into the trenches and do stuff as well as a marketeer and somebody who's an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, I like to combine all three. I don't believe I certainly I don't believe, and that's not saying you can't do it, but I, I hate being an entrepreneur who can't code, you know, and trying to build web businesses because you're always reliant on, Oh no, I don't know if that can be done. Or or if you don't understand what the technical capability of technology is and what it can achieve, how the hell do you know what business you can go to the monetization of, right? I, I can't see how you can do two. So if you don't understand what the next wave of technology is coming along, how can you take advantage of it early enough as an entrepreneur to make sure you're at the front of the pack, not the back of the pack? So to answer your question, you know, I guess two things. One, probably, yeah, probably misunderstood because I just don't really care about blowing my own trumpet. I just get on and do what I do. And the other one is that I'm not six foot one. That's the other misconception.
0: (laughs) What's something you've changed your mind about recently?
1: Bitcoin would be one and NFTs would be the other. One positive and one negative. Yeah. I fundamentally do believe now that Bitcoin is the internet digital currency of the future with micropayments and satoshis. And I think it's the one thing that Mark Andreessen said he wished he'd invented at Netscape was a micropayment system, because we wouldn't have to worry about hearts and likes and thumbs up, because that wouldn't matter. You just give somebody one satoshi or 10 satoshis or whatever right yeah and we're seeing that in podcasting with value for value but i would certainly say bitcoin is the way i think that the internet will move forward and what i love about it is because um, satoshi himself is no longer known or is an entity governments can't influence him her they right
0: Yeah. yeah yeah
1: they can't right there's a fixed 21 million coins and that's it bang done whereas i think ethereum can be influenced i think it's uh, th- there's a human face to it and i think therefore ethereum isn't going to be the platform so i spent christmas like unlike other people actually just reading technical manuals that's what i enjoyed doing and so like reading yeah well for me it was like you know i don't get an email i don't get phone calls over christmas so i can sit back and read and i decided to read and understand rather than pretend to understand what is sure. bitcoin really What is Ethereum? How does NFT work? What is OpenSea? Why does this work and that doesn't work? And my conclusion was, I think Moxie said it really well over Christmas as well in in one of his posts. NFTs are basically right now, I think digital fluff, right? They fundamentally are. You can have this NFT on the blockchain, but as he showed, he bought an NFT, linked it to a, an emoji of shit. And basically it was it was this picture that someone thought they bought, but when they actually got it and it presented itself up, like it was totally wrong. And I think I don't think this Ethereum so I look at it as blockchain is the protocol on which applications like Bitcoin and Ethereum sit. Okay. So we have Web Two, we have IP, T C P I P, and we have Twitter and Facebook as applications. So it's a similar concept. So blockchain I think is here to stay. I think it needs to evolve a bit more, but it's here to stay. And I think the lightning network is a good example of an evolving element to the blockchain. And I think the problem is, I think Ethereum as a application on the blockchain won't be the thing that goes forward. And I do think Bitcoin as an application on the blockchain will go forward. So if you're asking me positive, negative, yeah, I think Bitcoin's going to make it. And I think Ethereum is, and Dogecoin and all the rest will disappear.
0: Well, uh, Given Twitter's recent (laughs) news, it's always interesting to see what could be artificially pumped up when you own your own social media platform.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Mm, Interesting.
0: Well, Sam, as I knew it would be when I asked you to join and after we had the chance to hang out at the conference, you did not disappoint. This, I knew this was going to be a wide-ranging, all-over-the-place conversation (laughs) with a lot of laughs and and learning a bit more about, you know, the way you think and, and how you're just innate curiosity has led you down this winding path of entrepreneurial successes and just poking your head into other things like podcasting, you know crypto, and and I think coming at it with your background and this sense of like anything is possible is is really refreshing and really inspirational for people to to hear. So I'm glad you got the opportunity to share your story with my audience, and I'm and I know they're going to be inspired to probably start some of their own projects with they they probably had sitting on the fence. So I, I really really appreciate getting to know you more, and for you for coming on and sharing your story.
1: Harry, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, as I said, thank you for taking me under your wing at Podcast Movement. I will reciprocate that any time, any day when you're over in Europe. So, And to everyone who's listening, thank you so
0: much for taking the time. Where's the best place for folks to connect and learn more about what you're up to? At the moment,
1: I'd say come to one of a couple of places. So if if you're interested in what the River Radio Project is, it's river.radio. That's the URL. If you want to know more about Podland, it's podland.news. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Sam Sethi.
0: Okay, well, make sure all those are listed in the show notes. Thanks again for your time, Sam. I appreciate it. Pleasure, Harry. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I think what I've been finding is when I get the most value and the most Um, what do you call it, let's say, appreciation for these episodes is when I'm speaking to people that I enjoy speaking to. And I think as a podcaster, you should be thinking about that as well. You should be looking forward to those dates when you see them on your calendar. You're like, oh, wait, I'm gonna go talk to Sam. I just had a conversation this week with Mike McCallan. That's coming up in a future episode. And I learned a lot about him that I didn't know from just random interactions in podcast hallways at the conferences. So I think more and more, even with the Vertical Farming podcast, I just really enjoy connecting with humans on a one-to-one basis. and getting to practice my interview skills a little bit more every day. So truly grateful for that opportunity. I'm really conscious of all the information that's provided by our guests. And I want to give you the opportunity to share any insights you may have found. So we make that really, really easy for you. If you go to podcastjunkies.com, you'll see the show notes there. We've got a summary, timestamps, key takeaways, quotes, resources mentioned. Please check that out, podcastjunkies.com. Our music is provided by Cedar and Soil, my good friend George Abiana, cedarsoil.com. Don't forget, we've got some new changes with our sponsor, right. Head on over to podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster to learn all about this new line. Super sexy, super classy, super quality. If you are interested in learning more about how podcasts would be helpful for you, I'm moving more into what I call the consciousness space and working with folks who are thought leaders in that space. If you are interested in learning how podcasts could amplify your brand, then head on over to fullcast.co. That's my agency, and we'd be more than happy to have a conversation to see if we can help. Tune in next week for my conversation with Donna Laughlin. I really appreciate everything you do to support the show, the regular listeners. I know who you are. And I really appreciate and thank you for all you do to support the show. Have a blessed and wonderful day, weekend, week, whatever it is that's coming up for you.